Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Once again, we just ask, Lord, that you would speak very clearly to our hearts. Lord, help us leave here different than when we came in. Help our eyes to stay focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Um, I am uh, excited to start a new series. We've called this one Arise. It begins, I'm just going to kind of jump right in here. It begins with an individual who desires to come speak to Jesus. And as I was processing that, what would you ask Jesus if you had the chance to talk to him face to face? Like, I have like nine million questions, right? But let's say you had 10 minutes. Like, what would it be that you would ask him? And as I processed, like, this guy Nicodemus, it says in the scriptures here that he was a Pharisee. And if you've studied scripture at all, you know that the Pharisees are going to become kind of an antagonist to Jesus. It's that religious elite, those individuals who built themselves up to make it even more difficult for people to understand who God is because they saddled individuals with more rules than Jesus even, or than you know, God even asked people to follow. And they become this, these individuals who look at people around them and say, I'm better than you because I'm more holy than you. And it's this individual that comes to Jesus and he recognizes him right off the bat as a teacher. And I'm fascinated that he has this desire to just approach Jesus and say, I need to have a conversation with you. And as he did that, I would imagine that there were so many questions that he had. And the first thing that strikes me in this passage is he doesn't get to ask one. Not off the beginning. I mean, if you look at what's transpiring here, and we read it at verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. There's no question here. It's just, listen, I've been watching you, and you're doing some pretty radical stuff. I've never seen anything like this before. And based on what I believe, there's no way that you could be doing those things unless God was with you. And so I'm pulling myself out of this environment, out of this kind of 
pharisaical culture, this legalistic culture, to come to you by night so that none of my people get nervous about me asking some questions. And I've got about five million questions to ask you. And I would imagine that he had this picture in his head of how this conversation was going to go. So he recognizes Jesus as somebody holy. He calls him rabbi, which basically just means good teacher. I'm recognizing you as a good teacher. I'm recognizing you as somebody from God, and I want to ask all of my questions to you. And the first thing Jesus does is say, you're not going to get to ask any. And right off the bat, we're reminded this has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. This was my conviction this week. I kept asking myself, what would I want to ask Jesus? What would I want to ask Jesus? And what hit me is nothing. I just want to sit at his feet and listen. I think that one of the things that we do as human beings is there's this pride in us that thinks that we always need to know everything that's going on and we must, God has to account for everything that he does. But we find right off the bat in this passage that God doesn't hold himself accountable to anybody. I'm going to shift the the narrative here. Instead of asking that first question, like what would you want to ask Jesus, how about this? How honored would you be for 10 minutes at Jesus' feet? It makes me emotional thinking about it because it's what I long for more than anything else. There's stories in Scripture where Jesus is teaching people and I'm like, I want to be there. I want to I hear, I want to experience from the creator of the world as he speaks words of truth that would not only pique my interest but like grab hold of my soul. Right? So, at the very beginning, I, I picture this. It's, it's this moment where Nicodemus is like, I want to ask my questions. And he comes in and you know, he does the proper thing. I'm going to acknowledge you for what I think and what I see and who you are. And then it says, it's fascinating as we keep reading, it says, Jesus answered him. There's not a question that's been given. Jesus is going to go right into it. Right? Now, Jesus has an advantage. He can see people's hearts. We can't. But he knows exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear. The reason that I wanted to start with this passage going through our Easter series is because I think that if I were to sit at Jesus' feet, knowing my own heart, even the fact that I say I want to ask all of these questions, right? And I'm not saying questions are wrong, but I'm just saying even that. That my focus right off the bat isn't just the honor of sitting at Jesus' feet. It makes me think that maybe the church needs to hear this over and over and over. Like, maybe the question more needs to be, what would Jesus need to say to us so that we can understand him better? What would Jesus need to say to us so that it's not about us questioning him it's about him saying look i created you for something beautiful i created you with purpose and you're a bit off track so let's get you back like i've got some stuff for you right so jesus answers him and he says truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god The most important thing that Jesus has to tell Nicodemus is, we're going to talk about how your messed up life gets redeemed. How all of these thoughts that are constantly going on in your head can be focused more on what's true and accurate. I'm going to tell you, Nicodemus, who you truly are. I'm going to tell you what I'm actually coming to do. There's a reason why I'm here, and I'm going to explain this to you with such intense clarity, because this is what life is truly about. This excites me. Right? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? It's pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's kind of gross to think about, honestly. Um, Nicodemus hears what Jesus has to say. And Nicodemus' first response is, I don't get it. I don't get it. So if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, like I remember growing up and people would say, I'm a born-again Christian, I'm a born-again Christian. And it became so commonplace to hear people say they were born-again Christian that I was like, this sounds weird. Like, what do you mean you're a born-again Christian? Because one of the things, even as a young kid, that I, I realized is that you can't be a Christian unless you're born again, so it seemed redundant to say you were a born-again Christian. Right? Like, aren't those two things, like, synonymous with each other? You have to be born again to understand who Jesus is, so it's like saying I'm a Christian Christian. Right? And the, the verbiage that's used here, I remember thinking, like, okay, you're born again, you're born again. And I remember processing this. What does this mean? Like, Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. But ultimately, when it, what it really boils down to is Jesus is saying that in order for you to truly get it, something in you has to change so drastically that it's if you're having a new life. I would say, at, like, where I stand right now, like, in my life, I look at my life, the, the 48 years that I've lived, and I go, man, I've had some great amazing moments in my life. I, I have um, amazing wife. I have amazing kids. I, I get the privilege of, of talking about Jesus on a regular basis. There's amazing stuff, right? And, I, and then I think of all of the things that I've done in my past that I wish I hadn't done that maybe I regret. Things that I've said, <laughs> actions I took as maybe a young guy, we all have this, you, you know, if we say, well, tell me your story, you're going to, a lot of times, one of the things that is fascinating to me is when we say, tell me your story, you're going to come up with all of the stuff that you did that was wrong first. It's all the regrets, right? I, in thinking in those moments, there are definite times when I go, oh, I wish that I could go back and redo that. And when I think that way, oftentimes it pushes me to this passage because I think, okay, it's, it's like starting over. It's like a new birth. It's, I want to be different and handle things different than I did back then. So, but in order to do that, I almost, you know, I, I made the decisions that I made back then because that's who I was. Now I have new knowledge. Actually, I have the ramifications of mistakes, right? It's like my dad coming to me and going, are you really sorry? And I'm like, I'm sorry I got caught, right? And then inside I'm going, well, next time if I do this, I just got to figure out how not to get caught. There's these things that we kind of process through to say, am I going to be a changed person or am I just going to do what's wrong better? And we experiment with this as we live, but then there's those definite things where you go, I wish I could do that again, and I wish it was almost like I could be reborn and people saw me different, and that's exactly what Jesus is describing here. He's saying, if you're going to really be different, if you're going to truly understand who you are and why you were created and what your purpose is and what arising really looks like. Something has to start over. There's a, there's a shift. There's a new birth that has to occur. And he's trying to explain this to Nicodemus in a very like simplistic way because if I, if I were to put the Kevinisms in this, I would say that what Jesus is saying is you can't expect to do different things being the same person. I, that makes sense to me. 
Like the reason I made the decisions that I made is because of who I was. And we can lie to ourselves and say, oh, I made a mistake. No, I made a choice. And it's based on what I feel I know and who I am. And if I truly want to make different choices, then something in me has to change. There's something that, that, that has to be different because I have to process things differently. I have to look at the world around me differently. I have to look at my own heart differently. I need to be reborn. Nicodemus, like so many of us, including me, we want this really like simple answer. Lord, how can I continue doing what I'm doing and being the person that I am and you be okay with it? Right? I mean, that's really what humanity desires. I mean, if you go back all the way back to the beginning of Scripture and we see the fall of you know, Adam and Eve, it really came down to we want to do what we want to do, but we still want to be in relationship with you. Throughout the Old Testament, Jesus calls this whoring ourselves out, right? Meaning, I want to have a relationship with you, but I want to see other people. I want to have a relationship with you, but I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And Jesus goes, you can't do that anymore. Like, it doesn't work. It's not only a spiritual issue, but it doesn't work. You can't maintain the same things that you've always done, the same mindset, the same heart, and expect to behave differently. Something has to change. There's another passages of, other passage of Scripture that, that instead of born again, it kind of uses this analogy of like light and dark, right? I say a lot. We live in a sin-cursed world, sin-cursed bodies. It's, it's this darkness. And in order for darkness to be eliminated, light has to pierce it. Darkness doesn't just go, oh, I don't want to be dark anymore. Light has to pierce it. Darkness is the absence of light. We, we can use either analogy that you like, but something has to change. Something in us has to change permanently. Jesus is attempting to explain this to him. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The easiest way I can explain this theology is everybody that's in this room has been born. Huh. Deep. <laughs> right? Like, you were born. You, there's a process that occurs, and you were born. I don't know where you were born. I don't know what that looked like, but I, there's some things that I go, everybody's born pretty much the same way, right? You were in somebody's stomach, and you came out. You were born physically. You came out probably screaming, Right? Because you, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how they look at the psyche of an individual who's inside a mother's womb, but they say that one of the reasons we come screaming is because we're comfortable where we are. So right off the bat, we come out complaining, right? I don't want to be reborn. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm comfortable where I'm at. Like, there's this thing attached to me that feeds me. I don't even have to chew, right? And when I'm hungry, I just kick and scream, and food comes in, Right? And then the birthing process occurs and we come out and we're complaining, but we're alive, we're breathing. Here we are. But Scripture reminds us that what we're born into is this idea that we're born physically alive but spiritually dead. Physically alive. You're there. You're, you're functioning, but spiritually you're dead. Why? Because we've been separated because of our sin. We've been separated from God. And you go, well, how does that even happen? I, I love the theology that's basically like, well, you're not really separated till God till you sin, but if you ever want to study like really deep theology in the Psalms, it actually says that we can sin in the womb, and I have no idea what that looks like. I don't remember what I did in the womb. Right? But we know that sin is passed down. It's, you know, this idea of original sin, it, it, it's accurate. I learned this when I had kids. 
my kids say, you pick on us all the time when you're, you're preaching, and I'm not really. It's just real, right? Like, I didn't teach Lacey how to lie. I didn't. But at one point, this thing that I loved so much that was this little ball of energy with those huge blue eyes, and I said, did you do this? And she was really young and just started speaking, said, no, Boomer did it. That was our dog, <laughs> right? And I didn't teach her this. Where did she get this from? For those of you who love theology, have you ever wondered why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? That's weird. It's weird. Every Christmas, we're like, Jesus comes, born of the Virgin Mary, and we, it's like we just pass over it like, oh, this is something normal, Right? Or we just go, oh, it's all about just Jesus coming in this miraculous way so that everybody would know that he was Jesus. No, there's actually significance to this. We know that Jesus never sinned. He also didn't have original sin. Why? Because he didn't have an earthly father. So he didn't start the same way we started. He didn't sin in the womb. Right? It says that he was born of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason. The, the, the systematic like, way that God works in everything that he presents to us is phenomenal. Even down to the detail of saying, I'm going to show you truly what the human problem is even by having Jesus born of a virgin. You want to know where original sin comes from? Hey guys, it's us, right? It's us. That's how it's passed down. So what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, Nicodemus, here's the deal. You were born physically, but your heart, your heart, it was born physically in sin. It was born physically with issues. It was born physically with a natural propensity to do that which God says you shouldn't. And something has to change. You were born physically, but there's this thing that I'm coming to do that has been promised throughout the Old Testament that you've been waiting for, that all of you guys who sit around in those little holy huddles studying the Old Testament have been waiting for, and that's me, Jesus, to show up and teach you what it looks like to get a new heart, to be reborn to not just be born physically, but actually be reborn spiritually. To handle the issue, to handle the issue of the original sin, to handle the issue of your desire to sin, your propensity to sin, to be disobedient, to not understand, because we're dirty, rotten sinners, not understand our purpose, not understand our call, not understand truly who God is. There's a way that you can be redeemed back to think before when Adam and Eve, before their sin, and they had this relationship with God where it talked about the fact that they were walking with God. You can literally walk with God, Nicodemus, but in order to do that, your spirit has to be reborn. It's not just about being born physically. It's about being born spiritually as well. Paul talks about this a lot. He says, man, he just looks around, and I'm paraphrasing, but he looks around, and he just sees dead people walking. I see dead people. Right? Some of you got that. He sees dead people walking around. Right? They're walking, they're breathing, they're living, but spiritually, it's like their heart is this kind of shriveled up, just ash. And it's why they're constantly going, what am I here for? What do I do? How do I behave? What is going to fulfill me? And nothing does. Jesus is going, Nicodemus, you've experienced that as well. In fact, right now, Nicodemus, if we're specific, you've been diving into the scriptures so heavy and trying to actually earn your way to this place by all of your actions, and now you're coming to me because you know that didn't work. Like, if Nicodemus had the answers, why did he even come to Jesus in the first place? If it was about his holy living, I mean, this guy was renowned. He knew the stuff. He acted on it. I mean, right off the bat, Jesus is going, he's taking 
maybe one of the holiest men in that culture, the one that's practicing, that's studying, that's doing supposedly all the right things, and everybody's watching him, and he's literally looking at him going, your best efforts still require you to be born again spiritually. That's why I'd constantly say, like, if you're here today and you're struggling with, well, I just need to get my behavior in check, Jesus would answer you and say, you can't until you're reborn. You can't get your behavior in check until you're reborn because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Light has to pierce the darkness, right? There's a passage in Ezekiel. It's one of my favorites. I reference it a lot. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what it says, and this is Jesus promising this new heart. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This, in the Old Testament, is the promise of what Jesus is now confirming to Nicodemus. We're going to do it. It's a heart transplant. You know, Valentine's Day, whatever kind of images you have of love, right? We have the, it's always the heart, right? It's always the heart. The heart is, for us, we, we, we picture it as this life source, this thing that is pumping blood everywhere you go, and, and it's helping us survive. And, and when, like, you're hurt, it says, oh, you broke my heart. Like, it hurts. It doesn't mean f- you physically broke my heart, but I feel it, like, here. It's, it's this symbol of everything. And Jesus is saying, all of those things that you believe are the symbol of, of your life and your love and your passion. It's dead, and it's going to get removed. I'm going to give you a new one. This one that you have is stone. You can't see me. You can't hear me. You can't understand. And it's going to get removed, and I'm literally going to crush it in my hand. I'm going to shove a brand new one in you that is real. He promises a heart transplant. He, this, is, this is what's so fascinating about this. He doesn't say, I'm going to transform your messed up heart. He says, I'm going to give you a completely new one. It doesn't allow us for the room to say, well, I want to keep me. No, he says, I'm going to give you a new one. This one I'm going to give you is different. It's flesh. It actually understands. I'm going to give you a new spirit. We know that when an individual gives their life to Jesus as the Holy Spirit enters them, this new spirit is now going to be this guide for you, this help, this help you understanding what this new heart means for you. It's, it's a phenomenal thing to think about. Um, I have a sister. I have a bunch of stepsisters. I have one sister. And... Um, she recently donated one of her kidneys to one of her friend's fathers, right? And I was like, ooh, like that's, that's intense. But I remember when she called me to tell me, hey, Kev, could you pray for me over this? And, you know, this is obviously a, a big deal, and I'm taking something out of my body, and I'm putting it inside somebody else. And it wasn't even necessarily anybody that she knew very well. She had this friend, and it was her friend's dad. I don't know. I think she knew her, his dad very well, her dad very well. But they were just a match. And when that, that messed up kidney that was inside of him was removed and a new one was placed in, everything changed. He was actually given new life. Right? Like, imagine... Imagine what the Holy Spirit, what God himself, the creator of of the universe, can do if he removed your heart and gave you his. (laughs) He says, I want to understand Jesus better. Well, Jesus is going, I'm going to give you my heart. It'll be in you. It's there. And when I do, it's going to change everything. You need to be born of flesh, but you also need to be born of spirit. New heart, new mind, new way of thinking. Your old life will be dead. Your new life begins. He goes in this theology 
that which is born of flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a lot of theology here that we could go over. Um, I think for me, the simplest way to explain this to you right now is to say, I remember being a kid and I remember looking at my dad. I remember actually where we were. We were on the beach and I was young and I looked at my dad and I go, dad, how come sometimes the air wants to move? And he's like, I don't know, shut up. <laughs> no, kidding. He's like, I, I mean, he couldn't explain it to me, right? Like, he, well, it's called wind and oftentimes it moves and, you know, I remember him saying something like, you know, we don't, you can't control it. It's just some days there's windy days and some days there's not. We don't get to pick how that works. There's some deep theology here. It's, it's why oftentimes when I meet with people, or maybe you've experienced this when you're, you're praying for someone, and you're like, Lord, I, I want to present the gospel to this person. I really want them to understand. We have to be reminded that I've never been able to convince anybody that Jesus is who he says he is. I've never been able to do it. Right? And, and let, me, let me take this a step further. People, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who saw Jesus. They heard his teaching, they saw his miracles, and they went, no. That's like a David Copperfield thing or something. Right? Like, there's no way. I'm not going to believe that. Oftentimes what we'll hear is, well, if I saw Jesus personally and I saw what he did and I listened to him teach, then I would believe and I would say, well, no, you probably wouldn't. Because if you're hearing the gospel from anyone, if you're reading the gospel, it's the same thing that Jesus said. You don't believe it because the wind hasn't blown there yet. And I don't know where the wind blows. This is why we're constantly commanded as the church to present the gospel all the time because we don't know where the wind's going to blow. I, I've thought over and over, I'm, I'm grateful for this because if it came down to me convincing, I, what a burden. I don't think I would sleep. Like how would you go on vacation knowing that it's up to me to make sure that they understand? There's a freedom. There's a freedom in knowing that this is all about Jesus. Like, can you imagine? I, the weight already, Scripture says, those who teach are going to be held doubly accountable. Right? I take that pretty seriously, and I'm like, oof, that's rough. But can you imagine, like, me dying, being face-to-face with Jesus, and his response to me was, you needed one more example in that last sermon, and these number of people would have come to me. And I'd have been like, oh. The wind blows. It's why, you know, I, sometimes you'll preach in front of large crowds or teach in front of large crowds, and I, and I feel like I've, I've like stepped down, and I've been like, okay, I said exactly what I feel like the Holy Spirit was asking me to say, and I, and and then you look at the response and everybody's like, I don't understand anything that you said, right? And then there's moments when I'm like, that was the worst sermon I've ever given in my life. And people are coming and going, I want to know Jesus now. And I'm like, see, Jesus, this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. It has everything with light piercing the darkness. And I'm not light. I'm just a product of it. It has everything to do with the Lord reaching in and pulling out your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. The wind blows where it's going to blow. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, how can these things be? (laughs) I love Jesus' answer here. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? I I know at one point he's going to say this to me. I feel like every teacher should be humbled at some point in this manner. How do you not get this, Kevin? Are you the one that's actually teaching people? Like, I know that I have a long ways to go still. I'm still in my sanctification process. It's never going to end. I'm constantly making mistakes, right? There's things that I'll say, and I'm like, oh, I wish I hadn't have said that, even when I teach. Maybe it was a distraction or whatever, right? I told you, I pray, like, Lord, whatever's of me, like, eliminate whatever's of Jesus, like, ingrain in our hearts and minds because I'm human, 
And I, and I think, okay, Lord, like, what is it? What is it that I'm going, man, how, Kevin, how come you don't understand this? But I think it's, it's just fascinating. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we, what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is such a good question. The, the best way for me to apply this as a Christ follower is me saying this, Lord, I want you to expand our influence, our borders, like give us more responsibility, like help us to, to grow, help us to um, understand you better, give us more voice, whatever it is, all for the glory of Jesus. And he looks at us and he goes, What? What do you mean? You can't even do the simple thing that I'm asking you to do. Why am I going to give you something more? Right? It's, it's, it's like a little kid like coming to their father and saying, Dad, I want to play with a gun. Why would I do that? You don't even know how to, to handle one. You, don't even, you haven't done the, the gun state. Like, like, I haven't taught you anything. This is just going to be complete and utter suicide. Or pick your analogy. Dad, I want to drive a car and I'm four years old. And you're like, no, there's a process. Like, like you need some more experience. You need some hands-on stuff. You need to hit a few things, right? Like whatever it looks like. But there's a process here. I don't just, you don't just jump from like, oh, I've ridden in a car to now I want to drive a car. And now go. It's simple. We don't. We're, we're, we're constantly asking for the Holy Spirit, for the Lord to do things in our lives. And he goes, and, and then we're like, well, why aren't you doing these? And he's like, there's a reason. Like, it, it's really clear. There's, you're not ready. If I give you this, it's going to be utter destruction. You're not only going to destroy yourself, but you're going to destroy others on top of it. I remember... Um, Somebody asked me once, like, does God, does God always answer prayer? And the answer is yes. He always answers prayer because he always hears our prayer. And there's three answers, potentially, that God's going to give, and it's yes, no, and wait. And it's usually wait, right? Because we're so immature of what we ask for that he's like, it's not that I don't want to give you that. It could be a complete noble desire, but you're not ready, and I've asked you to do some things. I've asked you to humble yourself. I've asked you to forgive. I've asked you to read the word. I've asked you to whatever it is. And you're not doing that. So why are you asking me for further steps down the road when you're not even willing to do the simple steps that I've given you here? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We read this, and even if you're studied and you know Scripture, you know the story that this is referencing, and I'll, I'll explain it here in a second. I really believe that it's in this moment that Nic this would have impacted Nicodemus differently right? Um, as a Pharisee and as a teacher, Nicodemus was probably a rabbi himself, he would have said, this is a story that we're constantly telling, and he may not have understood the complete significance of it. He may have told the story and went, this is God's provision. This is us being completely dependent upon God. This is whenever we're in trouble, we're always supposed to look upon the Lord and not ourselves. But Jesus takes the context of what this story is going to be, and he turns it into a perfect picture of the gospel. And I think in Nicodemus's eyes, this would have been like, so let me explain the story if you don't know it. So the Israelites are wandering, right? We know that. They come out of Egypt, the whole Moses thing, right? Pretty awesome. And they're wandering around, and they start complaining because that's what we do, right? We do. God, I know what you've done for me in the past, but what are you doing for me now? That's, what, that's, that's basically our constant understanding of God, right? 
That's why I say journal, and every once in a while, go back and read where the Lord's been faithful, because we forget. So they're walking around. The Lord's provided for them in miraculous ways. They're complaining. They're cursing God, it says, and God is fed up like a good father. Don't make me come back there, right? And so it says that in Scripture, it says that fiery serpents came and started biting the people. I don't know what a fiery serpent is, but I'm telling you right now, I, you already know, I hate snakes. You put a snake on fire, I'm out. Okay? I have no idea what a fiery serpent is, but I do not want to see one. All right? And so, I, the, like, I, I, this, is, this is stuff of my nightmares. I mean, I almost went on a tangent. I'm not going to. They're, they're, like, this is scary for me. Like, Whatever. Okay, so fiery serpents are coming in and they're, they're biting the people of Israel and the people of Israel are dying. And the response to what is going on is, wow, we need to repent. This is happening because it's a direct response by God to our complaining, our cursing God, our constant issue. I still believe this happens. Now, it may not be a fiery serpent. But I do believe that oftentimes in our complaining, God will go, you think this is bad, wait till I do this. Right? So fiery serpents are coming in, right, biting, people are dying, and then they say, we want to repent. And what do we do? So Moses prays to the Lord, and Moses says, what you're going to do is you're going to take an image of a fiery serpent, and he says that he makes it in bronze, so I don't even know what this thing would have looked like, and you're going to put it on a staff, and you're going to stick it kind of in the middle of the camp, maybe raised up a little bit. And every time that somebody gets bit, if they will look at that, then their life will be spared. Okay, so this is the story. This is the story that Nicodemus would have told all of the people that he taught. Hey, kids, remember that time when we were wandering on the desert and we were complaining and God sent the fiery serpents and the serpents were, were killing everyone and then Moses, our, our hero, did this amazing thing and put this bronze you know, serpent up there and when we looked at it and our faith was in that, then the people lived. Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Jesus says, just like that serpent was raised up and saved people, so I, Jesus, am going to be lifted up. Where? On the cross. Why? So that I can save people. So that when people look at me and believe what's happening here, they too will be saved. And you just go, whoa. Like Nicodemus must have just been like, you have, I never made this connection before. You're that guy. You're telling me you're that guy. You're the guy. And Jesus is like, yep, that's me. Like, we, we, God, me, the Holy Spirit, right, did that thing so that you would be ready for this specific moment in your life, Nicodemus. I taught you that story. I did that in history because I was going to do this in history as well. Here's the thing. You compare the stories. Fiery serpents are coming in. They're biting the people. They're dying. There's nothing that they can do about it. Nothing. 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 Like, what are you going to do when a fiery serpent comes at you? Oh, I'm going to kill. No, you're not. It wins. I guarantee you it wins every time. Right? Like, what are you going to do? Oh, this is our response to the fiery serpents. Oh, I just need to behave different. Oh, I need to work harder. Oh, I need to, to do more to please God. And God's like, ugh, no. You need to do what I told you. You need to look at what's been lifted up for you. Like, how, how foolish. And I guarantee you this happened. I guarantee you. Why? Because we do this all the time. Some of you have heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over. Right? And you're like, nah, I'm going to do it my way anyway. All right? So I know there were the people that were like, I just got bit by a fiery serpent. I'm not going to go outside and look at that dumb bronze thing that's sitting up on the staff. Like, that's not going to work. That's silly. Where's the medicine dude? How, how do I take my knife and cut this open and get the poison out, right? Don't ever do that. Like, I know that happened. And I wonder sometimes, like, because I know my life, I, I've done that. I probably would have been the one that did that. Like, oh, come on. 
Didn't you hear the story about Jane down the street? She looked at the thing and she was healed. No, she wasn't. It's all about science. Medical doctors now know everything. We just got to listen. You follow? Like we would have done the same thing, I think. But then there's, this, there's the few that went, I understand who I am and I understand why this is happening and I understand that I'm messed up and I understand that I don't think clearly. And as weird as this is, I'm going to trust it. Because it's coming from the Creator. It's coming from the one that knows me. Do I have to understand it? Not fully. I mean, how many people went to Moses and went, explain this to me? And what would Moses have said? I got nothing for you except the Lord said, if you'll look at this thing, you will live. Like, what do you want me to explain to you? I don't know. Right? I think in this moment, Nicodemus would have started associating all that God was doing in the past. We know that when we study the Old Testament, it's all pointing us to Jesus. It's all about the hope of Jesus. If you're reading the Old Testament, you're not seeing Jesus in it, you're misinterpreting it. That's the whole point. And it's a story like this where we go, this is the whole point. It's, it's a precursor, uh, a type, if you will, of what Jesus is going to do, and he's claiming that. And then we get to what is probably known as the greatest scripture or well-known scripture in all of the Bible, John 3.16. After, and I want you to understand the context, after Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and says, just like that serpent was raised up and brought life, I too am going to be raised up and, and bring life. That whole thing I was talking about being, being born again, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to live the life that you were supposed to live. Perfect, because you can't. And I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to take all of that wrath and all of that punishment that you deserve, which is eternal death, because you sinned against eternal God. And then three days later, I'm going to rise, conquering sin, Satan, death forever, and I'm going to offer you the opportunity for me to take that death penalty. This great exchange. You can die. You can choose to do it your way. Or... You can accept what I've done for you and live. Death penalty will be paid. And Jesus says, in the midst of this, Nicodemus, this is what that story meant. This is why we did this in history. And as Nicodemus is now listening and understanding, then he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son He's pointing. I, I picture this. I'm, I'm, I'm visual, so I, I just picture it. He's already said he's going to be lifted up. He gave his only son to die, and whoever believes won't perish, but will have eternal life. What is he saying to Nicodemus? I'm the one you have to believe in. Like, what was untangible before and misunderstood is now standing before you tangibly. It's me. I'm here. You have to believe in me. And if you do, new life. And then he, he continues, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the part that should make us even more emotional. And this is why I... Jesus should have come to condemn us. He should have. He should have come and said, you messed up people. How dare you do this? How dare you question me? How dare you sin against me? I've had enough. That's what he should have done. I mean, when you think about what would you have done? It's a, possible, it's a possible scenario for us to go, well, what if you were God, right? So let's not go there. We have trouble forgiving each other for the simplest of things. They need to pay, right? The United States 
I, I was reading an article like six months ago, and it said that one of the greatest sources of revenue distribution in the United States is lawsuits. Think about that for a second. Okay? That's crazy when you think about it. Meaning more money is moving around in lawsuits and the amount of money that's being given in lawsuits than actual like commerce. It's crazy in the United States, right? It's it's nuts. There's this constant, like, like we're, United States in circulating funds is actually dependent upon lawsuits at this point. Why is that? Because we always want to blame somebody else and we never want to forgive and we always want them to pay. Always. That's who we are, right? We just, I mean, it's not great, but we own it. Somebody does something to you and the first thing you think of is how can they pay? How do I get them back? What do you now owe me? Right? That's how we function. Do you know what God said? I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to send Jesus to forgive you. And not only forgive you, but all of that junk that you can't do, he's going to show you what it looks like. He's going to do it. I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus the world might be saved. This is a rescue mission. It's, it's this constant, it's this constant mission of Jesus to say, I am going to offer you what you do not deserve, what you cannot earn, and what you shouldn't be given. God desires relationship with people so much that he's willing to take it all. I, we don't understand that kind of love because none of us are willing to do that. Even Scripture will combat us and say, typically an individual won't die for another. On the rare occasion, somebody might die for a good person, but even that is so rare. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The world says this. There have to be so many different ways. If God, this is, this is the world's philosophy, and it makes sense from a humanistic standpoint. God created he doesn't want to send everybody to hell. He wants people to be saved. Therefore, it makes sense that he would have all of these different ways to come to him. So what people will say is, well, what you really need to do is have sincere belief in something that would force your mind or your heart to some sort of belief system, and that's going to be okay. The problem is, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus told Nicodemus how an individual is saved, and it's only through Jesus. So we have some problems with this. If God has given a bunch of different ways, then God is also a liar because he says very clearly in Scripture that Jesus is the only way. And if God's a liar, you can't trust him anyway. We find Jesus telling people, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Your salvation, this ability for your heart to be renewed, to be born again, is only going to happen through Jesus. Well, explain that to me. I can't because I don't understand that love. I just can tell you about it. One of the beautiful things about Christ is that the scriptures in the Old Testament also tell us that when you know Jesus, every day that you wake up is like a new life, a new day. 
I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, so like I said, I'm visual. I'm always trying to figure out, like, how do I picture this? Like, what does that look like? It's how I learn best. So I picture it this way. It's like, okay, that time that Jesus removed my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh and his spirit entered me, that was a, a, a brand new life. I was born again. I was, the Holy Spirit entered me. The Holy Spirit sealed me and protects me and guides me. And, and I know that I'm his and I'm his forever. There's nothing that I can do to separate that. I belong to Jesus. He purchased me. I don't have much redemption value, but he did anyway, right? Like, I'm blood-bought. Nothing, nothing will remove me from the hand of Jesus, not anything I did or I'm going to do. Do you know why? Because Jesus died for all of my sins, even the ones I haven't committed yet. He paid for them all. All of them, right? But in my heart of hearts, I know that I, wake, I go to bed, and I wake up in the morning, and I have the opportunity to say, Jesus, you gave me a new heart, and today starts over if I want it to. What does that mean? It means that today I can choose, because of your grace and what you've done, to do it different. I can choose to stop doing those things and start doing these things. Why? Because you saved me. I don't have to be in Christ the same person I was yesterday. There's consistent redemption. Constant. It's just, it's there. I, it's why I'm constantly attempting to tell everyone who's a Christ follower, you're not stuck. You're never stuck. Ever. Because tomorrow's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day where you live in Jesus. That's what we celebrate as Easter's approaching. We look at all of this. We look at every component. We look at, yes, Jesus had to suffer, and it's so hard because that's what I deserve. But then we also look at the resurrection and say, it's the new life that Jesus gives in his resurrection that passes on to us every single day. So if I blow it today, Lord, forgive me. I blew it today. Ugh but I know I'm still yours and tomorrow's new. So help me live for you. You don't have that ability if you're not a Christ follower. Do you know why? Because you're still trying to figure it out and your heart's still stone. So what do we, I mean, how do we like wrestle with this? Well, I know culture would say we don't want to classify people, but I'm going to anyway. There's two people in here. There's those of you who have given your life to Jesus and those who haven't. And our application is going to look a little bit different. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, meaning that heart of stone has never been removed and a heart of flesh put in, you haven't been born again, the light hasn't pierced the darkness, whatever you want to see, right? It has nothing to do with how good you are. I need you to hear that. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has to do everything with how good Jesus is. If that's you and you've never done that, the Lord invites you for a new life. We're going to be taking communion here in a minute and we're going to use communion as an opportunity to respond. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus personally, and you feel something going on, there's something here, something needs to change, or I need to respond in some way, I would encourage you to do that. But here's how I don't want you to respond. I don't want you to respond by doing something religious. Because there's no hope in that. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus, oh, you want to respond? Okay, now go pray 10 more hours. You want to respond? Accept Jesus. We don't want to fake that we're better than we are. We don't want to fake this, this thing or, or go into a false hope that because I took communion, oh, I'm right with God. You aren't right with God if you don't know Jesus personally. And I love you enough to tell you that. But if you're dying to respond, then while 
we're taking communion. I would say a better response than faking something religious. Pastor Matt will be standing over here. Go talk to him. Like, ask the questions. For those of you who know Jesus, I have a very simple question for you. Are you living it? What does that mean? Well, I don't know. Are you living in the hope of the life of Christ? What does that look like? Well, it looks different than what you looked like before. I love, I love stories like this. Somebody will come to me and go, Kevin, like, I, I know Jesus, and we have this relationship, and like, I had an encounter, <laughs> and, and I handled it differently, and what I wanted to do was rip their head off, and instead, I provided grace. And I go, that's what it's about. And that looks so different for everyone. But are you living it? Are you waking up going, my life is anew? Or are you just saying, I'm just going to keep doing the same thing that I've always done over and over and over? That's not new life. That, you know what that is? That's Jesus coming and cutting you from the, from, the, from the sin of slavery, removing the chains, and then you going, ah, I'm going to chain myself back up. Why would we do that? There's freedom in Christ. So I don't know how you're living, but I will say, before you partake in communion, I would encourage you, maybe you need to spend some time in prayer. Pastor Matt will be over here. If you need to pray with someone, he can help you. Right? And others will probably be over there as well. But wrestle with this. I don't want anybody leaving here. If, I don't want anybody leaving here not knowing Jesus. But I can't control that. So here's what I'm going to say. I don't want anybody leaving here not clearly understanding what Jesus is saying that the gospel is and what saves you and what doesn't. Jesus saves, you don't. Give your life to him. Imagine what would happen if a church, I don't know, this church, and everyone in it who was a Christ follower said every morning, Jesus, today I live anew. Today I live in you. Today everything I do is going to be for your glory. And when I blow it, I repent and I start again. What would happen? What would happen? I'd venture to say that everything that the church dreams about happening in a community or in a city would occur. So what do you need to do? And you need to give us some practical things because this is new. Communion elements are over here. Okay? You're going to partake on your own. There's a cup of juice there. Everything over there is gluten-free. So if you suffer from the sin of gluttony, <laughs> you're going to be good to go. Okay. Um, the band's going to come up, and we're go they're going to play, and we're going to sing a song. And you are invited at any moment during that time, and they'll keep playing until everybody's done, to get prayer if you need it, to partake in communion if you need it, or no shame to just stay where you're at and ponder. All right? So let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us in hopelessness. I thank you that you are more powerful than our sin. Lord, we thank you for saving people. Lord, like Nicodemus, we have all these excuses. We have all these reasons. Our, our head gets in the way. We, we doubt, we fear, we try to use human logic. And Lord, the reality is you created us. We sinned against you and you 
Give us a way to come back. Lord, I ask that if there's anyone in this room, Lord, and I know there is, that doesn't know you, that Lord, right now, even as they sit there, Lord, I, I ask you to remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith to believe. Lord, I pray that you, the light of Jesus, would pierce dark hearts. Lord, I beg you, don't let anyone leave here today without knowing you personally. I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to, to ask questions, to, to be prayed for, Lord. And Lord, for your church. Lord, we're, we're guilty of overcomplicating everything. The gospel is so simple yet so profound. But Lord, right now, I pray that your church throughout the world, Lord, and especially this one in East Boston, would come back to a faith like a child. Lord, we would just be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. And that our lives would reflect that with so much joy and gratitude that it'd be contagious. Lord, I pray for believers in here right now who are living their lives defined by guilt, that you would release them from that because that's not what they were created for. Lord, remind them that you've already forgiven them and heal them. Lord, move in this place. Lord, change lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.